Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. Well, as I'm coming to you today, it's St. Valentine's Day, our yearly shared celebration of all the glories of love. A very good opportunity, I think we'd agree, to assess the true measure of love, and not just with cards, candy, and flowers but also in the ways that we seek to love one another as Christ has loved us. Well, that's our subject for today. And what better place to begin in addressing the subject of love than in 1 Corinthians 13. Let me just cut to the chase here. It's all about love. And understand, I am not merely referring to our text for this morning. I am talking about all of life, the universe, everything. It's all about love. Specifically, love as God gives it and intends for it to be given. In the words of Edward Markhart, From the moment you are born to the moment you die, in every second and every minute and every hour and every day and every month and every year and every decade, the purpose of life is God giving you and me the time to learn how to love as God loves. That's what life is all about. That is what it has always been about. And to this, all I can say is absolutely. The only problem, and I think you'll agree with me about this, is that we don't always seem to live up to that stated purpose. I'm reminded of a story I once heard about the late Earl Weaver. Earl Weaver was for many years the manager of the Baltimore Orioles baseball team. And he was notorious to go nose to nose with any umpire he happened to disagree with. Whenever he'd have, shall we say, a difference of an opinion regarding a call, Earl Weaver would run out of the dugout, charge into the umpire's face, and he would literally scream at him, are you going to get any better or is this it? Well, where life and love are concerned, i got to admit that oftentimes these days I want to ask the same question. These are days that, that it is so easy to become overwhelmed with a sheer lack of love existing on just about every level of society, including, at times, our dealings with one another. Sadly, there just seems to be this dominant culture today that revels in finding new and creative ways to promote hatred. And if you don't believe me, 10 minutes on social media will convince you of that. So yeah, you got to wonder, as I do sometimes, are we going to get any better at this thing called love, or is this it? I would submit to you, friends, that what is needed most urgently in our world and in our lives today, more than knowledge, more than achievement, more than a unity of opinion, political and otherwise, what we need is love. But understand, not love as pop culture would likely define it. 
nor love as Tina Turner used to sing as a secondhand emotion. And I'm very sorry to say on this St. Valentine's Day, not love in a purely romantic sense either. What we need is love as God intends it, as scripture defines it, and as Jesus himself embodies it as a more excellent way of life. I am convinced, friends, that nothing will distinguish us as God's own people and as followers of Jesus Christ any more clearly than our real commitment to love. Loving more radically, loving more earnestly, loving more deeply. But the question is, what does that mean for us? How do we start to love that way? How do you and I, as people of faith, truly improve our love life, so to speak? Actually, you know, there are a lot of answers that can be found in this morning's reading. As I said before, one of the most familiar, beloved, and oft-used passages of the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 13. I have always been fond of saying that if there was a top ten list of wedding songs and wedding readings, this one would be number one with a bullet, and for good reason. There are few places in Scripture that set forth the true measure of love more succinctly and more eloquently than in 1 Corinthians 13. And that's why you hear it so often at weddings and in other services. That said, however, I need to tell you that it's also quite possibly one of the more misunderstood passages in the Bible. <clears throat> you see, <clears throat> excuse me, 1 Corinthians 13 actually has very little to do with weddings. And it really doesn't address marriage per se. Interestingly enough, these words were in fact addressed to a bunch of church people who were in the midst of conflict. The Corinthians, you see, were a bitterly divided and feuding group of new Christians. They were divided over issues of leadership. They were divided over the relative importance of spiritual gifts. They were divided over priorities of ministry. They were divided over the practices of faith and, and the way that communion should be done. Now, as you might imagine, each, this, all of this division created a lot of factions, and each faction tended to be more than a little bit smug and self-righteous as to the correctness of their particular point of view, which did nothing at all to help the situation. So these familiar passages that we traditionally and appropriately take as an affirmation of love and marriage were in reality part of a larger plea to the Christians at Corinth to simply get along. But for that to happen, says Paul, what's required is that more excellent way. Actually, as I've been thinking about this over the past few days, I've had this strange random memory of fizzies. Do you remember fizzies? I don't even know if you can still get them today. But if, like me, you're of a certain age, 
You might remember, because for a while, these things were quite popular. What fizzies were, in case you don't know, were these little tablets, sort of like Alka-Seltzer without the medicine. And you took two of these tablets and you dropped them into a glass of water. And once the tablets dissolved, what you ended up with was a fruit-flavored carbonated beverage. Kool-Aid with bubbles, basically. Now, nothing much at all, I know. But what I remember is that when you're a little kid, that was like the neatest thing in the world. But there was a random memory for me that went along with fizzies. And what I remember is that I am maybe in the fifth or sixth grade, no older than that. And I was going with my parents out of town to a big state science fair competition. You see, my dad was a high school math and science teacher. And he and my mother had been charged with chaperoning a couple of teenage girls from the school who had qualified to go to this science fair. And I got to go along. But for some reason, that totally escapes me now. The biggest thing I remember about that trip is that these two high school girls not only had a package of fizzies in their possession, but they offered me a glass of the stuff. Now remember, I'm just a kid. And the mere fact that these high school girls were paying me any kind of attention at all was pretty cool in and of itself. But they were gonna share with me their fizzies. And that was about as good as it could get. However, what I also remember is when I finally got a chance to take a drink of that wonderful, flavorful elixir, it was the worst tasting stuff I'd ever drank. It was horribly bitter, and I know my face immediately wrenched into a sour expression, which of course was incredibly funny to the high school girls, my parents, all of us. The problem, of course, is there was something missing from the fizzies mix, which of course was sweetness. Fizzies needed sweetness in the form of a fairly significant amount of sugar in order to taste good. And the one ingredient that was missing for that to happen was, like I said, a lot of sugar. Well, think of that as a little bit of a parable, friends. And that's the place that love holds in a life of faith. Love is, as Paul puts it, the more excellent way. It's what Paul was saying, need, was saying needed to be present if the believers in Corinth were ever to become a unified and fully realized church. And friends, let me say that it's still the key ingredient for you and I to truly live out of our faith, this faith we espouse this faith that leads us to be true disciples of Jesus Christ. So, turns out that 1 Corinthians 13 is much more than a warm and fuzzy recitation on the ideals of love. It is no less than a manifesto of a true Christian life lived in love. The late theologian Elizabeth Actemeyer once wrote, that the kind of love described in 1 Corinthians 13 is the kind of love that is, quote, closer to hard-eyed realism than simpering sentimentality, unquote. 
It's love that is to be invested directly into what we do and how we do it. It's love that sets a personal guideline for being at our best. It's love that serves as an anchor to steady us when we are at our worst. And it's what provides the proper motivation and the fuel for everything else in our lives. That's what comes through very clearly in the first three verses of this passage. You know the words, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, without love at the heart of it, anything we say, even the most eloquent of words, is at best ineffective. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Or to put it another way, we can know everything there is to know. We can have all the best ideas to affect the greatest change. But out, without love accompanying those ideas, all that knowledge is just incomplete. And if I give away all my possessions, if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. It's true. You and I can give abundantly for any number of reasons. We might be wonderful stewards of our resources, be benefactors of, of the highest order to the point of supreme self-sacrifice. But none of it really counts unless it's done in love. Without love motivating the gift, what we give is insignificant. You see, what Paul says to the Corinthians in the midst of their own conflict is also true for the challenges we face in the midst of living. Simply put, great things can happen in this life in our living. But without love being there in good measure, anything we accomplish ends up being inadequate to the task at hand. In the same manner, as those woe-begotten, sugar-deprived fizzies. Without love, the flavor of what we do and what we claim in faith turns from sweet to bitter. What you and I so often forget, friends, is that as a matter of faith, love is not an emotion. It's a practice. A practice that serves as a test of our faith in a world that often rejects love at every turn. The true measure of love is to be found in its connectedness to a higher good. Love is meant to be the touchstone of our attitudes and actions as God's people. That's why it says, love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. For us to sing that they will know we are Christians by our love is not simply wishful thinking or worse, misguided idealism. It's no less, you see, than our edict as followers of Christ. For love, simply put, is answering the command of Christ to love one another, to follow his example of love. Love is seeing everyone and everything 
through the eyes of Jesus Christ and then living our lives accordingly. What it is in the end is what makes all the difference. Brian Rem, a composer of beautiful hymns and other music for Christian worship, said this wonderfully in an article about congregational hymn singing published a few years back in the Christian century. Wren said in this article, it's possible to sing without believing a word of what you say, but if you believe in what you're singing, then body, mind, and spirit come together. Let me just tell you, friends, I get that. I mean, there are moments that when I'm singing with my guitar or else when I get to sing with a choir or in the congregation, that there is this palpable feeling of power. When the words and the music that we are singing together just come together as something real, something very, very true. I mean, speaking personally, there are a whole lot of times I'm just trying to get the notes and the chords and the words all in the right order. But then there are moments I'm singing it like I believe it. Because I do. And when that happens, I know I know the difference. And I suspect that you do too. Well, that's exactly what happens when love is at the center of all we seek to do and to be as Christians and as the church. Yes, it's true. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But that love finds its measure, you see, in how we bear, how we believe, how we hope and endure. The depth of our faith is truly equivalent to the lasting quality of our love for Christ and for one another. I don't need to tell you that we live in an era where Christians are often viewed with more than a little bit of skepticism. So the old adage of practicing what we preach, especially as it involves love, becomes paramount. But you see, when in our lives we choose to lead with the things we know and believe, like kindness and forbearance and openness and acceptance and generosity and so many other things I could name. When we lead with that, we set the example that other people will see and we pray be moved to emulate. That is how we change the world for the better, beloved. Maybe not right away, of course, but eventually. For as Paul also says, now we see in a mirror dimly. But then we will see face to face. Now I see only in part, but then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. I'll say it again. It's all about love. Love as God in Jesus Christ gives it. Love as God intends for it to be given and shared. May it be said of us today and every day that whatever we say, whatever we do was clearly said and done in love and that you and I were the very embodiment 
how faith, hope, and love abide. These three. And how the greatest of these is love. Thanks be to God. Amen. And amen. And that's the message entitled, The True Measure of Love. It was recorded as part of our February the 14th online service of worship at East Church, to which, by the way, you are always invited to join us live each and every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock via Facebook Live on our East Congregational Church Facebook page. In these continuing days of pandemic, these services have proven to us to be the next best thing to be in there and we'd love it if you could share it with us. And with that, we're at the end of another episode of Love to Tell the Story. This is Michael Lowry, and I do thank you for listening today. And until next time, stay safe, be well, and may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.